0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. On this episode, we're going to be breaking down some of the systems around the food choices that we're making. We tend to think that our food choices are happening on our free will. But in reality, our environment is deeply determining the foods that we're eating. So we're going to look at some of the social constructs, some of the cultural constructs that are driving our food choices. And we're also going to be talking about how to buy healthier food on a budget, how to reduce our food waste, which food waste in the United States is crazy. The amount of food that we're throwing out can feed another five to 10 moderate-sized countries. You know, we're just throwing away so much food. And so you might be going through the grocery store and like, I'm go ahead and pick up another box of spring mix that I'm going to end up throwing in the garbage, right? Because that's what tends to happen. We have healthy ambitions about making certain things and then we end up wasting a lot of food. So we're going to talk about how we can utilize more of the food that we're buying and preserve our foods and all kinds of good stuff like that. And we're talking with somebody that not only can my man cook and is he incredible with education and empowerment. But is some of these things just align, the stars align. Because even in his name speaks food. His name is Kevin Curry. Come on, he's really? That's like my guy, Jim Quick. He's an accelerated learning expert, K-W-I-K. Did the universe dub this to happen in the first place? You know, it's so interesting. But man, such a, a great person and somebody who's really doing something about These social structures are providing education and empowerment and teaching people how to prepare delicious foods, to make food fun. And again, emphasis on delicious. And if you need a reminder on why this matters so much right now, a massive meta-analysis published in The Lancet in 2019, this was very recent, titled Health Effects of Dietary Risk in 195 Countries, examined the links between poor diet and the skyrocketing rates of chronic diseases in our world today. The scientists determined that poor diet kills 11 million human beings around the world every year. The researchers stated, quote, our findings show that suboptimal diet is responsible for more deaths than any other risk globally. We're at this very interesting place right now as a civilization, we want to call it that, to where more people are dying from the overconsumption of disease affirming foods than from lack of food more people are dying from overconsumption than from lack of consumption this is what we're seeing now this the pendulum has swung and again this is why we need to look at the social structures that enable something like that to even take place because now having this accessibility to food, what if the food is actually harming me? What if the food is causing deficiencies where I'm experiencing a state of obesity while simultaneously I am starving, right? So I'm consuming all of these calories yet starving at the same time, starving for nutrition and leading to all of these metabolic dysfunctions. So really, really important for us to have that in our back pocket and understand why this conversation is important. And can't wait to dive into this subject matter with our special guest. Now, our guest being a renowned food expert and chef knows a thing or 20 about food quality. And one of our missions, our collective missions is to make healthy food more affordable. And so if you care about things like regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming, then you need to know about wild pastures. If meat is on your family's menu, you can source it from ethically raised, sustainable sources. USA delivered, you're not getting this shipped in from overseas somewhere, delivered to your doorstep monthly for 25 to 40% less than what you would be getting at the highest end retailers. Plus, by going to wildpastures.com forward slash model, you get 20% off of every one of their food boxes for life, all right? Plus, on top of that, you'll get an additional $15 off that will be applied at checkout. Go to wildpastures.com forward slash model. That's dot com forward slash model for 20% off every box for life plus an additional $15 off at checkout. Take advantage of this. It's investing in regenerative agriculture. It's investing in making things cost-effective for families to eat the highest quality food possible. Go to wildpastures.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast review of the week.
1: Another five-star review titled New Listener and Already a Fan by Mrs. A7712. Episode 445 was my first episode and I am officially a fan. I loved the basic biology lesson, and Dr. Lipton was great. Thank you for presenting the scientific facts and trying to inform people on how much power they have. Please keep spreading the good word.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it so very much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is a best-selling author, fitness expert, and social media sensation with millions of followers of his incredible food tutorials and empowering education that he's putting forth via social media on food and on wellness. We're talking about the man behind Fit Men Cook. All right, now this isn't just for the fellas. This is for everybody for sure. So let's dive into this incredible conversation with the amazing Kevin Curry. My guy, Kevin Curry, welcome to the Model Health Show again. So good to see you, What's going
1: on, man? I think last time we saw each other in person was 2018.
0: Yeah, it's had flown to be by, flown by. yeah yeah, and we went out to eat afterwards do you remember yeah, you that did. yes i remembered it. it was a nice spot too in stl yeah. Yeah. pasta nose pasta i remember and also you were the first person that i know that ordered chilequiles oh i, I didn't know what it was i would look <laughs> past it. it was just like chihuahua i don't know like i kept it moving but yeah you put me on to it man. yeah it was pretty good right yeah it was
1: pretty good yeah i know i know um Good times, man. It's good to see how you're
0: growing and expanding the brand yeah. out here in LA. Yeah, man. It's been bananas to say the least. That's good. You know, but man, it's so good to see you. And also, you know, just pointing back to that moment, like you have an eye for that. You have an eye for food mm-hmm. and you have an eye for, for style. Also just taste and flavor. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about all those things yeah. today. It's really special what you're doing, man. But I want to talk to you first and foremost about some of the bigger issues in okay. our society, like food scarcity, for example, mm-hmm. and this term food desert. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of articulate what that is in the situation that we're dealing with right now?
1: Yeah. You know, um, and first off, just to go ahead and put this out there, I don't think when people think about this, this problem, they always talk about like a, having a food shortage. Right now, there is no food shortage in America um it's just that the delivery time to try to get to some of the grocery stores and whatnot is that has been like interrupted Um, but there's no like food shortage and that's separate from food scarcity a lot of people think I'm like no you're not in that you aren't in that bucket okay bro um so when you think about it it's a it's a complex issue so i want to just first off go with some definitions maybe so people always talk about food hunger versus food like insecurity and then a food desert, so they're actually pretty separate. But there is a little bit of you know overlap. When you talk about the food hunger thing, food hunger is much more of like a physical, um, personal to the individual, like you're hungry. Whereas food insecurity, that's something that actually is a is um is defined but by the USDA. And there are a couple words in there that are just that are pretty important, I think, in their in their definition. It's basically um, a person or, or like an individual who doesn't have consistent access to foods that would allow them to um, carry on a healthy and active lifestyle. So when you look at it in that in that perspective, it's completely different from like food hunger. Mm-hmm. And then you have the food deserts. Now, food insecurity can be caused by, by food deserts, and food deserts can be caused by food insecurity. And um, in a food desert it, are these places around these pockets around the U S that don't readily, um, have access to a grocery store, to a supermarket, um, where there's, there's, there's not one around. Um, they are traditionally and mainly in lower, lower income areas. And when you get down to that granular level, there's not a huge separation between race and income. Um, there's, so you do see them in a lot more of the marginalized black and brown communities. And what you'll see instead of grocery stores, you'll see like corner market stores, convenience stores. Liquor stores. Liquor stores too. Yeah. Liquor stores. Um and when you th- and you're not really thinking about or I think most people kind of miss what that actually means, the implications of it from a health perspective. Because in those places, if you can just think about the last time you went into a like convenience store and maybe they had some bananas or some apples at the register and they were like, $2. Like, who is paying for this? But when you think about, those are the only options available. Right. So the healthy food is really expensive. So there is actually some validity to that when people say it's too expensive to eat healthy, especially with it when you're in a food desert. But what is accessible and what are, are these packaged products that are high in sugar, a lot of preservatives, a lot of things, in, you know, a lot of additives, things that aren't, don't have a lot of nutritional value. So being in a food desert also has a direct correlation to
0: the health and wellness of that surrounding community too. Yeah, man, you just said it. That's amazing that you uh, are so on top of this. Uh, so I knew we were gonna talk about this today, so I went and looked up, this is from the CDC. <laughs> they said that food deserts are, quote, areas that lack access to affordable foods that make up the full range of a healthy diet. Yeah, right. So that's really what you already articulated. Because even the, this concept, when I think of a desert, I'm thinking of like sand, maybe yeah. like a Jodissey video. You know what <laughs> I mean? Or like you know, seeing a mirage. Mm-hmm. But in in reality, we're talking about a a situation that's desolate. Yeah, right. A situation where, in this case, when we're saying food scarcity, we're saying there's a lack of health affirming foods. But there is an absence that we're flooded with disease-causing foods. It's kind of like the sand in mm-hmm. that desert situation.
1: Yeah, you know, um, one is those disease-causing foods are a lot more lucrative. You know, health and wellness has kind of been made like into a business. And so they're going to put those products um, and those, those offerings in places where the people can afford them. So that's why you see also, um, you don't see a lot of investment in those areas because they, you know, it's justified. Maybe the dollars aren't there, but the convenience package of stuff—you know—that people can go out and buy. Of course, they're going to be flooded in those areas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's an issue that I think is growing in terms of acknowledgement. Um, I was reading. Um, there was a, an article I was reading a couple weeks ago, and they talked about food apartheid. And when you look at that word apartheid, it's a segregation. It's a systematic segregation. And when you think of food apartheid, it's that as well. And so one thing that people are now beginning to look at are, um, why are there these shortages in marginalized black and brown communities, low-income communities, where these non-Hispanic white communities don't have that? So and when you look at food apartheid, then you can't just look at it singularly in terms of, all right, we've got to put a store over here. You also have to look at some of the systemic Reasons behind that. And I think that is a much more fruitful conversation because I think that's where change begins to happen. When you look at the policies, you look at the housing, you look at affordability yeah. um, in these areas, and we don't link those together, but there's a strong correlation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We get down to, you know, for example, I was trying to figure out is there actually a, a connection between our essentially being you know these communities being flooded with processed foods and this connection to poor outcomes with health right but here's the thing i was looking at where, so why is this situation occurring so we've got economics involved mm-hmm. but also one of the big reasons is government subsidies yeah. right so um, this was published in JAMA right the journal of the American Medical Association they were looking at who's consuming the most government subsidized food and are they having higher rates of disease right mm-hmm. And so in this instance, if we're talking about government subsidies, this could be on the surface, something that seems altruistic, right? We're trying to feed Americans, mm-hmm. right? So we're making cost-effective foods, which are gonna be these large kind of commodity cash crops, right, so lots of things with wheat and corn and sugarcane mm-hmm. and soy and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can make a lot of different foods with that stuff. Like you can make thousands of different foods. So you go to yeah. a grocery store, it looks like there's all these options, but it's like the same five things, yeah. you know, packaged up differently. And so what they found was that people who had the highest consumption of these government subsidized foods that largely end up in processed foods and coming through the drive through window, they had the highest rate of obesity. It was mm-hmm. about a 40% increased risk of obesity, and the greatest implications were happening to black and brown communities, specifically black women, mm-hmm. were hardest hit by this scenario. And so having this, this is the one I want to ask you about is accessibility mm-hmm. because these foods, this is what I grew up in. I'm from Ferguson. Like when I got turned my health around, I lived in Ferguson, mm-hmm. but also, you know, from like East St. Louis, South yeah. St. Louis, We I grew up having a corner store, but I'm just, this is all that I knew. I had access to these foods. I didn't really know that other stuff existed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, um, and that's the, that that's the part that I'm actually trying to work on like myself um, and in being like an advocate because I think that, there are a couple things. First off, we need just access to the foods, period. And then the second thing, variety also matters, the different types of products. It's not surprising that in those areas with the government subsidized foods that um, you're still going to see those high rates just because what, what people are doing with those subsidies is turning them into financial profit. And so it's easier. Science <laughs> gets involved a lot more and it's cheaper to do that there's 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 less like overhead in a sense and they can turn that out and then also just the marketing of health and wellness is different too so you'll get things okay well this is sugar free but they got other hidden stuff in there oh this is fat free they got something else in there they're just putting in science to kind of create something to taste like what it would naturally so that's the that's not that part is not surprising um this is it kind of reminds me too of tangentially of what happened a long time ago now excuse the phrase but there was this thing called the fat kid lawsuit you remember that Mm-mm. they called it that because it was this class action lawsuit against mcdonald's mm-hmm. and mcdonald's oh, yeah. was at you know was um they had accused mcdonald's of basically marketing to parents and kids heavily and they would you know a long time ago the internet people would go on tv live you know we're well, not going tv live but they would watch TV live before TiVo and whatnot. And and Saturday was like the biggest day. You had the cartoons, you had the cool shows. And McDonald's was just dominating those time periods because they knew that kids were watching. And so the kids are asking for more of this, yada, yada. And so the parents are like, all right, well, this is a healthy lifestyle. Plus, you're talking about people that maybe not, don't have a lot of money. Um, and so they just began to buy their kids that because they can be, you know, like, you know, satisfied. I've got to work two jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened in a couple of years, these kids were becoming largely like obese. And so I think that is what's that. So they got sued by, you know, by that. And that's why you see a lot of the the nutritional value of food um, in restaurants too, just beginning to become like disclosed. It, it, It changed things. I think that same concept applies here in that, they can easily market these things. Hey, this is a quick fix. This is really easy to do. Hey, you know what? It's nourishing. It's really not nourishing, but nourishment can mean different things. It may not be nourishment from a health perspective, but it's nourishing in the fact that, hey, my family is fed. So um, I, I've struggled with that too. Like how do you really define nourishment? Like on one hand, like, okay, great. I'm glad people aren't hungry. On the other hand, it's like they're not getting the same access to be able to live a healthy and happy lifestyle just because their choices and what they're putting into their body. So before we even talk about government subsidies, they don't even have to go that far. They can just do small things like expand SNAP, food stamps. They can invest in that. The government can do that. They can um, think about um you know the tax credits, you know, for lower income families. Uh so there there are things that we can do besides just giving the government subsidies that would give people more access. Um last thing I'll say here is that Amazon, I was really happy to see this. Amazon started to open up access to SNAP. Mm-hmm. So now when you go onto the food section there, um there's like EBT eligible. There's a smart, there's a Slight discount there, but it'll tell you. So now people can use food stamps to shop on on Amazon Fresh and, and Whole Foods online, get that delivered. So that way, if you are in a food desert and you don't even have to sign up for Amazon Prime, it's it's free delivery for you if you're if you're on like that. So that's a step in the right direction. I'd like to also see them stuff that has the prices a little bit more. Yeah, completely honest. If you on EBT, but the access is
0: is there. It's getting there. Yeah, I love that, man. And also, we can create structures that incentivize healthy choices. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've seen just in the last couple of years how quickly things can be galvanized towards a certain goal yeah. and accord uh, under the guise of being for our health. And <laughs> we can do that same thing because what's really killing us is right now we're knocking on the door of about 40-ish percent obesity rate here in the United States. It's, it's unheard of. Mm-hmm. the obesity rates in children have tripled in the last 30 years tripled mm-hmm. and you know you just mentioned something you Know it's a nostalgic vibe, man. You know, we grew up to Saturday morning cartoons, you yeah. know. Um, what's that one with Michael Jordan and Wayne Gresky? Was that called? All Stars? Oh my
1: gosh, yes,
0: yeah, all people Stars. don't know about
1: that one. And Bo Jackson was that was also, yeah, Bo Jackson, yeah. Bo knows, man. So,
0: you know, that would come on, you yeah. know, Ninja Turtles, saved by the bell, and we're and we are just, you know, having that cereal, that morning cereal, mm-hmm. man, you know. And um, whether it was the, the expensive stuff, the fruity pebbles and the tricks or the you know, I had the chief stuff a lot of times. We had the fruit dots and oh, the King vitamin. Yeah. So, yeah, he was supposed to be like, I guess, sort of like Captain Crunch, you know. But anyways, um, and he, even even with this Cap Captain Crunch, by the way, it's Captain. Oh, it they, sure is. He's that, they're not, he didn't get yeah. no actual distinguished, you know, like um, honorable discharge yeah. from the military, nothing <laughs> like that. Like, he's not a real captain. But uh, anyways, man, but, you know, having that experience is creating this neural association. You know, that was our access. And you just said, I don't want to stay on this point because like, what can we do about this? But Mm -hmm. I want to say one more point about the uh, subsidies, just to clarify like what that is. We're talking about in about a 20 year recent time span, the U.S. government gave almost $200 billion in subsidies to farmers who are growing these commodity crops that, again, are largely coming through the process, I mean, processed foods and the drive-through window. Right, so it's just kind of like our our government. When I say that, that's us. Mm-hmm. That's our tax dollars are paying to contribute to disease, essentially. You mm-hmm. know, and that's kind of the system that we're in. But once you become aware of this, you can politely say no and step out of it. And you just mentioned, for example, uh, expanding programs that help to kind of provide income, provide resources. Mm-hmm. I could have definitely used that as a kid, but because we were unaware, and it's still Comment today, man, because you got. I got to talk to you about this Mm -hmm. on Snap top thing purchases soda. Yeah. All right. So of course that's that's what we were buying. I didn't really know that it mattered, and that's kind of the point. So if we're wanting to get healthy, once we become aware that it, you know, food can make a difference, what are some of the things that we can do if we're on a budget or you know we're we're you know living in one of these food deserts to Mm -hmm. get access to better food? What are some of the things we can do?
1: Well, education definitely matters, you know, here. So um, let me take a step back first and say, and like addressing that, I just think that overall we need to do a much better job of how we talk about the language of wellness and the language of health in America. Um, it has become a business, period. So uh, you're going to have to, we have to sift through quite a bit in there. And if it doesn't align with the business part, sometimes we don't get The right messaging out there for people um but even with that i mean like just think about doctors like they're that first line there a lot of doctors don't even have the background in nutrition we think that they should be a one-stop shop we need to teach our medical professionals too to even just to be aware of some of the um you know the the symptoms of hunger and food scarcity so that way we can maybe connect our medical professionals to the resources available in those different communities, so that way the people that they're treating can get the help that they need. Um, there have been a couple things that people are doing in some of these food deserts that I think are pretty um, are pretty great. Um, a lot of people are starting up these community gardens, and it's not just to beautify the areas, but it's just to grow their own produce and to teach people about this. And one of them, especially one is, is in Dallas, uh, and it's called. Botan Farms and it's like top notch. Not only are they hiring people from the local community, but you know they're harvesting you know vegetables and they've created now a storefront where they are making salads and sandwiches and other mm-hmm. products. They've got goats out there that they're raising and you have it all run by the surrounding community, which I think is a great thing and and I went by there and it was the first time I've even seen a purple bell pepper. And I had a brother from the hood tell me, yeah, man, this is good. And I was like, I even have one yet. Let me go ahead and tell you, what that, you know, what that is. And so I thought that was a really great thing just because even still, like today, there's no grocery store around there. But there is this farm where people can go and get some produce and learn about that. So I think that there are, there are different things that we can do from an education standpoint and investing that way that that can like mitigate that. Um, <clears throat> structurally, though, I think it's going to come – With that, like when you, the way that we look at investment in communities has been skewed and jaded for quite some time. It's been battered and deep fried in racism and (laughs) bigotry, and and so when you look at um, the different areas, like on the map, where people look at um, investing, they're not investing in these in in impoverished areas. Um, They're actually kind of running away from it, but they know that they can make a quick buck these convenience stores. And so I think addressing that also is a thing. Um and I because the consequence of that, Sean, is I feel that there's this narrative out there because like like what you said, somebody is going to take that quote about, oh, people are just buying sodas on snap. That speaks to this idea that lower income people don't care about their health and wellness. Yeah. Yeah. That's not true. It's just fundamentally not true. Lower income people may not have access to the education to about what's good for them, but also they are competing against a larger narrative that they're seeing in the news, uh, like on TV, when they walk in grocery stores. Oh, you can get this. I was showing, I was doing a video um, one time, just showing like a budget recipe, and I said, all right let me grab some spinach. Spinach was $3 and it wasn't even like organic. I was like, dang, let me go over here and try to see if I can get it cheaper in the frozen section. I found it. Pop tarts, a box of sugary pop tarts was $2. And I was like, where are we now in a society where like just spinach, not even a big bucket. I'm talking about just one bundle of spinach costs more than a box of pop tarts but what's marketed to people is like we're marketing stop your hunger that's what's coming first so people are going to gravitate toward that let me just go ahead and do this let me just go go and nourish my family that way whereas a conversation should be <laughs> how do we make you healthier and happier you know yeah. how do we practice healthful habits and so i don't blame people for getting that because they don't really know um I deal with that now in my, in my new neighborhood. I live down the street. In, um, it's an older neighborhood um, and largely Hispanic, Spanish-speaking. And so we have like a grocery store there, and I go in there at times. And I'm just thinking like, man, they don't have – I have to go across town to another grocery store to get some of the options that I would normally buy. Um, and it's just an education thing.
0: Yeah. I, I could reiterate this point. Working, doing clinical work, I've never met one person who didn't want to be healthy. Right, not a single person. (laughs) Again, we might have, we might have cognitive biases and barriers and reasons why we believe it's not possible for us, so we don't have access, so we don't understand it. It's too hard. All these these things. But like you said, it really boils down to education. Even that is an issue with accessibility Mm -hmm. because being in Ferguson, like I didn't know there was. I didn't know what yoga was. (laughs) I didn't, (laughs) there was no yoga studio. There's no like Whole Foods. I didn't, I didn't know what those things were. It didn't exist to me. Mm -hmm. I knew there was, there were two McDonald's within, literally within mm, three fourths of a mile, Mm -hmm. right? McDonald's, Papa John's, uh, Domino's, Taco Bell, Dairy Queen, if you want to get that premium cheap ice cream. Uh, multiple, you know, the Chinese, mm-hmm. you know, restaurants, but you can't call it that. We, that's not what we called it. Mm-hmm. But this is also get, mm-hmm. the fried rice, you know, yeah. super cheap. I can good, get, yeah. I can get a whole order of poor fried rice for like two dollars and something. Yeah. You know, what do you think I'm gonna do if I've only got, you know, ten dollars in my mm-hmm. account? You know, it's cheap, it's accessible, and I'm just talking about literally just it's when I walk out my door, just with a, within a block yeah. of me, those ones that I just listed. Right, so I'm inundated with this. I don't know any different, but I, I want to feel good. I don't want to be unhealthy. I just don't know that food matters. No, you don't until it's too late. Until yeah. uh,
1: like later on in life, when you're sitting in front of your doctor. I mean, and it makes comp- it makes perfect sense if health is a business. Um, we know that people are going to pay a premium for that. So why am I going to build a market and a place where people aren't going to spend five bucks for some spinach? If I build it over there, I know that, you know, they will, and I can make a quinoa salad and charge them $11 for it, um, for basic stuff, just basic thing. So they're going to put that where the money is flowing, but over here, oh yeah, there's incredible spending power for like $5 for a meal, $2 for a
0: meal, X, Y, Z. So, How the hell are you going to get a happy meal mm-hmm, for like, you know, $3, a full meal, burger, fries, soda, and a toy? I know.
1: You know, can I tell you something? So I try to keep gift cards in my in my console when I'm driving when people, you know, would ask for help. Mm. So I'll so I'll do those. I will have McDonald's and you know, in like 7-Eleven. They're always $5. Mm. I tell them, "Hey, you can go in there and you can actually eat eat for the entire day." I've done the math. They're like, "Oh, yeah, thanks." And I always feel kind of kind of conflicted. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm like but if you're hungry, yeah. Go in there, you know, this this is the dilemma, but it's also the opportunity. Hey, five bucks. This person ate for the entire day. Yeah. And then and they're not hungry.
0: You can keep somebody alive. Yeah. But kill them a little slower. Well let's say yeah. that yeah, kill yeah, yeah, them yeah. a little slower. But also, you know, we're we're not necessarily thriving. That's really what we're trying to move towards. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I love that actually because mm-hmm. it's finding a way to make it cost effective in that moment. And, you know, but again, it just boils down to how in the world is this so inexpensive? You know, that's the question. Because again, like you mentioned spinach, like, you know what? The other day (laughs) I was walking with my family and this is something, again, I never walked with my family, you know, like there wasn't a thing. My mom's not about to walk with me, you know, like we go outside and play, but, you know, me me and my brother, mainly me and my brother. Um... But yeah, man, I, we were walking and I saw this yard and it was like perfectly manicured. Every blade of grass was like yeah. the same. The color was on point. Mm. And compared to the neighbor's yard, it just looked like, you know, I don't know. Like it looked like the neighbor's yard, I don't, somebody set fire to it. Yeah, compared to this family. yard, right? <laughs> but now I'm seeing this and what's gone into making this yard so perfectly manicured with grass. And it just hit me like, what if this was all food? There's so much space here to grow food. Mm. Like you, you have this cute grass set up mm-hmm. for nothing. For what? For what? It has no value except, I guess, comparing yourself to the neighbor's yard. You know, yeah. my stuff looks cleaner, whatever the case might be. But we have space. We have opportunity. Yeah. We just don't have the wherewithal to know that we can even do stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it's also culturally too. Our
1: culture is all about this. We want everything in an instant. We want our health in an instant. We want our food in an instant. We want the internet in an instant. We want results in an instant. So I can understand, imagine you are, you know, like a lower income family and you're working 12 hours a day. The last thing that you want to do is come home. All right, let me see how I can deconstruct this spinach and XYZ meal. But Hey I just spent five bucks. the entire family's fed. I, I can rest for a minute so I can go out another day. so it's 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 uh it's it's complex, right it's um it's a it's much more of a complex issue. We've gotta um, sh- show people how to cut those corners, but also in a way like providing providing that 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 same style of fast food but that's actually nourishing for for people. And I think there's an opportunity for that. I've seen a couple of pop-ups, but I think we've got to have a cultural change first that like, hey, it takes time. You have to invest in this and giving people opportunities to invest in it. So we can't do that with a single mother who's working 12 hours a day. Give her more access. um, Give her more um, income. Give her tax credits. Expand her food stamp so that way she can make some other options um, outside of what she sees
0: on on the corner. Yeah. And again, incentivize healthier choices, which we could do in a myriad of ways, but it would actually, this is the issue, man. I'm just going to say it. Mm -hmm. These industries, this processed food companies, these fast food industries that are, I mean, making tens of billions of dollars a year just on automatic. They're not gonna go quietly into the night. They're not just no. gonna be like, you're not, you're, you're just gonna cut into my profits by incentivizing healthier choices. So that's legislation. So that's lobbyists. So that's making sure that they're able to stay on that particular corner and to provide things at this inexpensive price and to get the government to help them pay for it. Mm-hmm. Because if people are wondering, why is an avocado so, $3 in a, I mean, in a happy so meal, mm-hmm. which isn't happy? It even put happy in the name. I wanna mm-hmm. be happy. Yeah. It's not called happy avocado, maybe if you know the anyways, yeah, so if that can be three dollars in this entire meal that's very cost intensive to make all of those different pieces and the avocado comes in its own shell or skin mm-hmm. and this thing all the the marketing materials and the packaging all this stuff how's that three dollars it's because of government subsidies and the investment in this system, so yeah. yeah, but again it would have to this is a big this is a big kind of meta question here yeah it's complex yeah it's it it, it, you know
1: it's complex because then one could also point out the fact that yeah that's happening but also mcdonald's is creating jobs it's it's getting the you know the economy going these these companies are going to argue that too that they're that they're contributing that way um but it's just not profitable right now for them to collectively invest in everyone's wellness it's not a part of the business model which is the
0: sad thing. I mean, I got to ask you about some happy things because okay. we got to get a happy meal or something because this, <laughs> this, is, this is big stuff, man. And this really shifts us to, again, I, you gave one solution, which is, you know, community gardens, for example, mm-hmm. which they're popping up all over the place because more people are getting access. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. You know, you make food fun, make it sexy, mm-hmm. make it uh, interactive, achievable, all the things. and you are the man that you are as well. So you see that representation. And so like we're shifting culture in these really interesting ways. And so this is happening at the same time as the other stuff. So the community gardens, if we are kind of on a restricted income and we're just trying to get by, but we are wanting to be healthier, what are some of the other things that we can do as far as like finding food at affordable prices, or maybe, you know, what, what are some different things we could do with our grocery shopping?
1: Yeah, you know, um, a lot of people stay away from people always go to the fresh ingredients, which I think is is a great thing. But a lot of people stay away from the canned goods thinking that canned goods and frozen foods are lo- loaded with a whole bunch of preservatives. Now, historically, yes, <laughs> in some cases there there are some. But there are some canned goods that are just the actual, you know, like ingredients. And those things are, you know, you don't have to get them with, the, with, with salt added. Um, and that keeps your grocery store um, bill lower. Also, um, with getting the frozen foods, you don't, we don't have as much food waste. Um, so it's a really good way to keep your grocery bill, but also to always have something like on reserve that you can just go in there and, and whip up something, um, you know, like pretty, pretty easily. One thing I've also found is I, I used to do this quite often is I would wait for my local grocery store. I think it was Walmart market, so maybe on like a Thursday or Friday. Is when they started to put out all the manager specials <laughs> and the manager special was that was that orange sticker is basically the stuff is marked down about 30 40 percent especially in the protein i used to buy in bulk then i go and buy some fish i started eating tuna because of that i was like oh i can get a tuna steak and had you know like no idea what that was but doing that it helped me to keep my grocery store bill low and i would just freeze that stuff right away And the cool thing too about buying it fresh at that moment is that usually there's not a whole, not a lot of like water and stuff added to it. So when you defrost, it doesn't turn to mush. (laughs) Well, you know, like some of that stuff does. Um, But that's been a proven way um, that I've helped to keep the grocery store um, bill lower. And I've seen, seen this happen with some groups, but I, I've always wanted to explore this idea of like, a co-op for meal prep. And what that looks like, let's say that you've got some neighbors on the street, right? Roughly the same like income. Um, Instead of you trying to prep everything like yourself, what if we assign different foods to the different neighbors? And then we get together one day of the week and we're swapping the foods or we're putting it into meal containers. And so we're feeding each other. But the only thing that you have to be responsible for is Maybe you're on grains this week, Grain, grains and, you know, like legumes and something else. I don't know. Somebody else is on protein. But we do this collectively, cook, and then we can come together and we can divvy up the food that way. Mm. It keeps the grocery store bill lower. It keeps your overall time in the kitchen lower, too, because you're just focused on that one thing. So you're not having to do, like, too much. And it's also a good way to, um, to share, like, socially. Um, and, and it's the sharing of, of, you know, like socially in this process of cooking that you actually get to elevate like other problems. You get to see, Hey, this person's needing a little bit more help over here. Let's go ahead and, and, and and, like show them some more love. And, and so I've always been curious to see if that could work on a larger scale. Um, I've seen it work in in really small pockets, but I just wonder if Mm. we could roll out this
0: idea of like community co-op meal prep. That's a. I love that, man. I love that <laughs> because that—that's really how we evolved, mm. you know. Oh, this tribal construct, think, yeah. you know, there are people who grew and do did certain things, and um, you know, it's their job, and everybody's kind of coming together for that tribal feast, mm-hmm. you know. That's that's really remarkable, man. It's <laughs> like yeah. you know? no, I, I like the idea. I'd be one, you know. And I I want to ask you about this. This is a perfect segue too. And by the way, if somebody's like well, canned good isn't uh, the best idea, we're missing the point here. Correct. We're talking about in a low-income context, we get some canned sardines packed in water or packed in olive oil versus the Pop-Tarts, Yeah. right? You know what I mean? So just choosing the thing that has more nutrition, that's closer to its natural state versus this artificial thing that just has no resonance whatsoever with anything healthy. Yeah. You know, so I love that, man. That's we gotta, we gotta be able to, to keep things in con in context and not dogmatic. Yeah. I wanna ask you about this because something you said earlier alluded to this, which is when we're doing this shopping, we want to actually take advantage of the food that we're buying. Mm-hmm. Food waste is a huge issue in our society at large. And there are certain things that we can do. For example, if we One of the things that I would do when I was living in Ferguson and shopping at Mm -hmm. Whole Foods and I would literally be at the register sometimes like, I don't know if it's going to go through. I don't Mm -hmm. know if this car is going to go through, you know, but I was investing in my mind because I became aware of how important this was. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I was investing in myself. I was investing in my health so that I can be healthier, so that I can make more income and all the things. I could be a better father, all the things. And it worked out for me. (laughs) Uh, But at the end of the day if I'm going to Whole Foods and I'm buying said avocados we talked about earlier mm-hmm. and you know how avocados have like, they're some timey. you know, yeah. they can be like, you know, not right, not right, not right. And then I'll disgusting. say too right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so what are some of the things that we can do to actually keep our produce fresher longer?
1: Yeah. Um, storage is actually a really important thing. And so I, I encourage people to kind of just, just to read up on the stuff that you're buying and how to preserve it better. Because I didn't get that. Um, But being in food now and I have to always cook, I was like, man, this stuff is wilting so fast. So a couple of things that I do. Um, When I buy the fresh herbs, I put them in water. I start to clip off the ends of it and put it into a jar, put it in some water inside the fridge. And I don't know why I haven't been doing that. These herbs will last like weeks at a time. So like basically like flowers. Uh, Using like flowers? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I didn't even think about it like that. But yeah, some flowers basically inside your fridge, but it's like rosemary and thyme and other yeah. stuff, you know, Um, and that goes a really like long way. Another thing that it's going to blow your mind, y'all. But we don't realize too that, um, you know, when you buy like some greens, and you'll put them in the fridge, and then maybe like two days later, they're just well, actually, the next day, they're really, really wilted. I don't want to say that vegetables sweat, but they do release water. Too. and so one thing that you can do is you want to always wrap up your greens in like a paper towel there are things that you can buy called a veggie bag and you put all your vegetables in there like your leafy greens your your like green onions i wouldn't put like cabbage and stuff um but anything leafy that has a tendency to wilt i kid you not that stuff is a that's a game changer so you could do it yourself by wrapping them up inside of paper towels but putting them inside a veggie bag I've had lettuce, lettuce for three weeks, and it's still crispy. Um, whenever you're putting your berries and your fruits inside of a little bin, always line that with some with some paper paper towels. There's also this stuff that I buy. It's off of Amazon. It's um it's a produce shelf saver, and it's these these large like green sheets that almost look like turf, <laughs> but they're see through, and you can cut them up. So you can line your drawers with them. And so it does the same thing as a paper towel. Um, but it's it's reusable and you can wash them out, and you know, and put them back in there. Um, and then I've wrapped a couple things too in some foil. Foil inside the fridge, um, inside of, uh, you know, like some of the items, like an onion and whatnot, it, it helps to preserve it. Lastly, one thing that shocked me was... Um, I used to store all of the produce in one drawer and even including with the fruits. And for some reason, I'm just like, man, it just keeps going like really bad. Storing fruits and vegetables separately will actually help to preserve their life. And I think maybe it's because, and someone who's watching this can probably like break it down much better. Maybe it's because fruits are, I don't know, they, maybe they release a little bit more water or whatnot or moisture and it causes the wilting take place but separating those will you know will actually preserve your veggies much longer oh, um so i'll have a separate bin for those i'll buy the little um i'll buy the rubber made, like there it's uh, you know the triton triton plastic ones that look like glass and put all my fruits in there line it with a paper towel and you're good to go
0: that's amazing mm-hmm. these are some great tips man got a quick break coming up we'll be right back If you want a surefire way to damage your microbiome, then look no further than that dirty S word, sugar. Data published in Advances in Nutrition uncovered that excess sugar creates a clear pro-inflammatory environment in our gut. There's even recent data published by scientists at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center showing that mice who were fed diets high in sugar developed worse colitis this pro-inflammatory, very, very detrimental inflammatory bowel disease. And the researchers examined their large intestine and found that more of the bacteria that can damage the gut's protective mucus layer was driven by the increase in sugar consumption. Another study cited in Science Translational Medicine describes how sugar is likely making negative alterations to our gut bacteria. Again, having healthy, robust amounts of probiotic-friendly flora controlling our system and keeping in check the opportunistic pathogenic bacteria is key for all manner of health and wellness, from helping to reduce our risk of diabetes and obesity to reducing our risk of autoimmune conditions. As it stands right now, the average American consumes about 100 pounds of sugar annually, mostly in the form of added sugars. but What can we do to pivot from this? In fact, there's a sweetener that not only doesn't damage our gut health, it actually improves it. A recent study published in Food Quality and Safety found that in addition to having natural antibacterial effects against pathogenic bacteria, raw honey is able to improve overall gut microbial balance. How sweet it is when we're talking about the benefits of honey, long renowned for its antimicrobial impact. We're talking about the external applications, but it has these internal applications as well. But the key here is making sure that your honey is not coming along with pesticides and heavy metals and all these other things that are common in bee products today. We wanna make sure that we're dedicated to sustainable beekeeping as well. And this is why my honey that I utilize that's in my cabinet right now is bee-powered superfood honey from Beekeepers Naturals. Go to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash model. You get 25% off taken off automatically at checkout. That's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S naturals.com forward slash model for 25% off. They do third-party testing for over 70 plus pesticide residues for heavy metals and negative bacteria like E. coli and salmonella to make sure that you're not getting any nefarious things along with your healing delicious superfood honey. Again, go to beekeepersnaturals.com model for 25% off. Now back to the show. I love that, you know, you started with the putting the herbs in water, clip the ends, Mm -hmm. put them in a little water, just like flowers. Basically, you know, we get flowers, clip them, put them in water. And so that can keep them fresher longer. Um, he was like, "I don't want to say the veggies sweat, but they yeah. do." You know, <laughs> this is the thing too. Like we tend to not look at food as life forms in a yeah. sense. You know what I mean? They're releasing their own gases. That could be another reason yeah. why. Oh, gases, yeah. their own microbiome. And when we eat a food, we're eating that food's microbiome. Yeah, there's all you know. There's the the microbial activity. There's so many reasons that these foods can be like. Yeah, I'm not messing with your environment. Like right. this isn't for me. I'm about to go bad. Yeah, you know. And um, you know, one other thing, that the tip with the berries, like, man, we we buy a lot of berries. You know? Yeah, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries. Man, they go bad so fast. Yeah. The Next thing, I'm I'm playing blueberry roulette. Yeah, you you're know? trying to
1: do that. Rinse them. I'm guessing you're buying them in the little plastic bin, yep. in the yep. plastic. Stuff like that. I usually take mine out first off. You can actually rinse them inside of that. That's why there are holes in there. People mm. don't know that. But just run that up Smart. under cold water and do that. You don't have to have a, you know, like something else. But I've taken my berries out now and put them inside of a, a, like another container with some paper towels in the very bottom of them, um, with a lid. And I'm telling you, my berries last for over a week. Mm. Um, in fact, I have some blackberries still in my fridge today that I bought. Gosh, I want to say the week before last, and they're still good. That sounds like, that sounds unreal to me right now. Yeah, I know, but the, <laughs> it's stuff that actually works. I, I don't think that people, we don't think about these types of things, right? Yeah. We just, hey, it's food. It should be, it should do what it's supposed to do. Hey, get fresh again. Yeah. <laughs> you actually have to do some stuff to it, um, you know, to make it do that.
0: Yeah, um, and by the way, with the avocados, what tends to happen is, you know, again, they'll, You'll be waiting for them to be Mm -hmm. ripe, and then they'll go bad really quickly. Right before they're like, you know, like tomorrow this is going to be perfect, put it in the fridge. Oh, yeah. Put it in the fridge.
1: I store all my stuff in the fridge. I store a lot of stuff. I store my bread in the fridge, too, just because, I mean, plus it's Texas, so it gets hot, and that stuff will ferment, and you got mold in two days. Um, But doing that, it really does preserve the life of it. When I buy the hard avocados that are like a rock, I put them in a paper bag and put them on top of the fridge um, for about two days. And I'm telling you, right after that, just it's good to go. So they either go in the fridge or they go in my mouth.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome, man. So good. And by the way, another thing I just found out about is freezing the avocados, right? So mm-hmm. once they're ripe, you know, scooping out the meat, like if you mm-hmm. want to use them for smoothies. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, you know, put them in a in a freezer bag and then, store
1: yeah, them that way. You know, before people start going and throwing out all their veggies, because sometimes we'll we can do the aspirational buys in the grocery store. And we're like, oh, I'm going to eat all this. Can't wait. You know, this would look like a science project by Friday because you're not really eating it. Um, there are ways that you can preserve that stuff too, so so you can use it. So make a frittata, make a casserole but also blending those things together. If you've got some berries that you think are kind of eh or whatnot and some other fruit, blend that stuff together and make ice cubes out of that and then add those to your smoothies. Mm-hmm. Um, small things like that, it goes a really long way. You could even, um, in fact, I love this one. Take those berries, roast them. So they'll become you know, almost like a you know, cobbler. Yeah. Put a little bit of sugar in there, roast them. Put those into, a, in, into like an ice cube mold When you add those to your smoothies, oh my God, roasted berries have so much more body to them. Mm. Um, So it's just things like that. You don't always have to throw out everything.
0: Ugly, ugly fruit, ugly food is okay. Ugly food is okay. That's one of the big, (laughs) put that on the (laughs) t-shirt. Ugly food. Now if it's meat, (laughs) you throw it away. You on your own. (laughs) Uh, That brings me to... Uh, asking you about some weird meat that you ate out there. and uh. Your eyes are like, uh, what is this dude Which talking one? about? Which <laughs> uh, one? When you were in Iceland. Yeah. Right? So, a big part of the reason that we eat the foods that we eat mm-hmm. is culture. Mm-hmm. Whether we realize it or not, we are existing where our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions are a result of our culture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Our culture is kind of like a container. That we're operating within, right? It's like a shoebox and we're kind of existing within this box. And, you know, it's gonna determine, like I said, all the things that we do in the world. So, culturally, there are certain foods that you just eat. There are certain things that you don't eat. There are certain things you have no idea exist. Mm-hmm. So, I wanna talk about, <laughs> let's talk about, first of all, that food experience, yeah. because you've done something really remarkable, which is you grew up in a certain culture. Mm-hmm. and you found this amazing impact that food can have. And then you had the audacity to say, let me go to these different cultures around the world and see what is going on with food in these different places. So talk about that. Talk about yeah. that most recent experience and why you're doing that anyway. Yeah, you know, this is my language too. I mean, like this is,
1: uh, I can talk, you know, at length of one, this one. But um, the one you're talking about was in Iceland and there's this, um, there's this typical food called harkel. Um, I believe I'm saying it right, but it's rotten shark. And it, it smelled so bad that the bar owner made us eat it outside because it's just so fragrant. I, I say fragrant because I don't want to say it's funky, it's terrible. Um and it was like little cubes and I I tasted it and it was just like immediate <laughs> repulsive. It was it was bad. Um, but you know, and then understanding why people are eating that is like it's Dated back. I mean, if you if you ever been to Iceland, it's very 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 cold up there. Um, mostly cold, you know, than warm. And so preservation of food was a big thing. And so they would take the shark, and so they had to preserve it over months because you can't go out and do anything else. It's frozen over. Um, and so that's how they do that. I'm not sure why they're still doing that today. Uh, <laughs> it's
0: it's culture.
1: culture. It's culture. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't don't do that, but um, it's cool. Um, I uh I also had this thing called svid svid up there. It's a sheep's head, and when I tell you they chop off the head, chop it in half, and they sear it, like just sear sear the head, and so it comes to your plate. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. Like, I like that the tongue hanging out, the teeth. <laughs> if people who listen to the audio, yeah. my mouth is hanging open too. Yeah. This is crazy. <laughs> and um. The cheek and the tongue were actually pretty tasty. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> that, but it was that dead tongue hanging out yeah, was just like uh, it was <laughs> it was seared. Now nah, I was gonna post it, but I'm like, yeah, I don't want to post that because I got people who are, you know, I get it. I, I don't want to trigger anybody. Oh man, they might have like censored that. Oh yeah, they definitely would have censored it because it was it was pretty it was pretty crazy. The worst part was was biting into it and getting like a little bit of the chip of the tooth. I'm like, oh oh, god. oh my, my god, oh my god, god. <laughs> <laughs> tasting something tasted me. Um, but I think what's important about these experiences and going to travel what I tell people is like travel isn't just for that moment travel is to soak up the culture soak up the foods soak up the experiences and then find out you know what this is pretty cool how can this influence my own life how can I bring this back so for me in terms of food I'm tasting all these things because I'm like, wow, this is really good. I wouldn't have thought to put something together like this. How can I take these recipes, these, these flavor combos to influence my own diet? And that's what I want to show people to do. Like um, taking things that, you know, you know, that you may not think about and finding out how you can deconstruct it. So that way it's much more helpful for you. I even tell people, especially the ones who struggle with orthorexia um and just don't want to eat out. They can't do. You should eat out. Eating out too gives you perspective. It gives you ideas, um, and you can chase something. Now, when you try to recreate it, it's not going to taste the same, and it shouldn't taste the same, especially if you're trying to do this in a much more healthful way. But it should remind you of the essence. And I, um, and this is the topic that is really you know dear to me, just because growing up in the South, um, with parents who are from. Louisiana and South Carolina, soul food and whatnot. I'm always trying to, you know, in heavy soul heavy soul food, heavy Southern food. I'm always trying to get um, my family to reimagine their diets, but also other people, also, especially the black community. And so I get this sometimes online, like, Kev, I'm not sure about that. I'm like, hey, the, life is, is so much larger than what we have known. And it's not just the black community. This is almost in every single ethnic community. Um, you know, like branching out and trying new things. It's important. Um, People always say that life is short. And I've come to realize that life is actually not so short. Actually, life is pretty long. Now, dying is is in an instant, but life is long. So we don't always have. So get out there, experience life, experience new flavors, um, because you're going to be here for a while. And so it's to your benefit to find out other things that could contribute to your life. That's how I got into yoga. Well, I mean, when I say get into yoga, I mean I actually tried some of the classes. But you know, because growing up in the church, you're like, oh, uh, you know, like I said, the devil. Yeah. It's not the devil. It's it's a it's it's a great practice. But being open enough to try something and that helped to enrich my life.
0: Yeah. It's that. It's that. Um. You know, when you hit that warrior. Yeah. Oh you know, yeah. The warrior oh, you pose. couldn't tell me nothing. Yeah, man. It's it's. That a and are my best. Yeah, is that the one where you just lay there? (laughs) Yeah, can't tell. Great at that one. Amazing. Yeah, I love that, and I love that that conclusion as well. You know, there. I think it was Seneca who said that life isn't short; it's that we waste a lot of it. Mm. You know, and it's not that we don't have time; it's that we waste a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Because that's another thing today. It's just like I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I don't have time. But you probably do. Yeah. But especially today, there's so much distraction. There's so many things that we can literally just outsource our thinking to and just, you know, like, do you remember being a kid and just being bored? Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, being bored is a rarity today. We've got like a, we got a whole casino in your pocket at all times. A casino plus, Mm -hmm. you know, a movie theater plus a, you know, a dating device plus you know, a food ordering mechanism, the list goes on and on, everything is there. So rarely do people actually have time to just be, yeah. you know, to just, and this is something I've, you know, I've talked about before, but just having time to think, you know, just to think, yeah. think about your thinking, think about, you know, your, your perceptions, think about maybe where, you know, question yourself, question your biases, question your beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our ancestors had a lot of time in contemplation. Yeah. You know, today is just like a regurgitation of the same Mm -hmm. you know it's just a recycling of the same ideas and you know somebody might original thought basically for me original thought is very rare because Mm -hmm. we don't have time to just be yeah we're we're incredibly uh intelligent and limitless but we're not going to access that if we keep on distracting ourselves
1: well you know it's funny that technology was kind of invented so that way it would make things a lot more like efficient so that way, it could free up time to do certain tasks, and so we we actually had the capacity to go ahead and do that to create more time for ourselves. But the catch is, whenever we create that more time, we're like, okay, great, now I got an extra hour. What can I do to fill this hour? Mm, <laughs> and so right. it's just something else. And so yeah. we actually can do that, but whenever we get that free time, we we treat it as an opportunity to fill it yeah. with something else. Um, but I mean, that's just it's it's a cultural thing.
0: Yeah, it's just culturally we're just. That's what we want. Yeah, going back to culture, man. Yeah. Um, So I want to ask you about, so you mentioned your experience in Iceland. Mm-hmm. And of course, it, there's so much more and it's expansive yeah. and just to set your feet on that soil. But what were some of the other memorable places that you visited? There mm-hmm. was some place, where weren't you like harvesting rice somewhere? Oh yeah,
1: in Thailand, mm-hmm. in Thailand. Um, And that was a really good one. You know, Thailand and then, in Madagascar. And and I and I call those out just because I've got such an appreciation now for rice and um and grains in general just because I'm like wow, this is the world's food. I was in some of the poorest areas um in both those places in it, but you would in between some of the villages, you would see these like rice patches. And um I just had had respect for something just like okay, even here, you know, that's all they may have is some rice and they'll maybe eat it with like tomatoes and whatnot. But um when you look at how the world is nourishing itself, it kinda it changes y- your perspective about what's actually needed um in order to live a happy life, to live a healthful life. Um so I've I've it's helped me not to become such an absolutist when it comes to food, to be mm. completely honest with you. Yeah. Um I remember Uh, we were on the beach in Madagascar and we were trying to fish. We didn't do a really good job. The women caught a whole bunch of fish so we were able to use theirs. (laughs) (laughs) And we were walking um, back to the village and there was a lady there um, like on the beach, their houses are on actually the beach, like a hut, you know, in a sense. Um, And she was cooking. So I stopped by and said, okay, what you cooking out here? And just, you know, she she just had... um, it was like some chickpeas, garbanzo beans that she had been stewing in this pot, and then um, rice and, and tomatoes. And there was just so much pride that went into that. And she wanted me to stay for dinner. We couldn't stay. We did come back, though. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just how people just kind of open up their homes, uh, the whole idea of nourishment. Change for me like how do I define nourishment how do I define what is healthy and well just that that started creating things in my mind like all right Kev this is this meal may not be something that like a nutritionist back in the states would say oh this is a healthy meal but how do you define health and wellness when like this is feeding our family for days how do you define that they're well they're um I mean first off I didn't see a whole lot of obese people over there let me just say that so there's that thing there's that um but I, I just think that the concept of wellness changes is whenever you look how other people are defining it around the world.
0: That's powerful. That is, that's one of those things where, again, you had to, to have that accessibility. Like you got there, yeah. you saw it, you experienced it because it isn't just food that nourishes us, mm-hmm. you know? And if people like, you know, um, rice is one of those things that could people, you know, it could set off a red flag alert, you know? And it's like, this plant defense chemicals is gonna kill you. People in Okinawa, centurions who are, they're dancing, they're a hundred years old. There we go. You know, doing their, they eat eat rice, you know? My wife is from Kenya Mm -hmm. and they eat rice. Much longer lifespan, but health span, let me be specific, health span, Correct, right? So it's like, again, having some context for all these things and understanding. Somebody just asked me the other day, the guy who got, you here today, uh, <laughs> shout out to David from Black Love. And he asked me a question. He was asking me about all these different diet camps out here because mm-hmm. he's been, he's dabbled in them, you know, as I have over the years, but I've been doing this 20 years. So I've, I've had a longer time to to partake, and yeah. dabble. And so he asked me, you know, this camp is saying this, this camp is saying that. And I was just, it's a very simple thing. They're all right and wrong, you know, because each of these you know, kind of the poster child for each of these diet frameworks, whether it's veganism, whether it's paleo, whether it's carnivore, they have seen great effects in their life and with the patients that they work with. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing this to to try to be controversial oftentimes. I mean, there mm-hmm. are some people that, you know, that might be on that vibe, but they sincerely want to help people because they've seen it be effective. Yeah. And they have data. There's peer-reviewed data to back up all of them. Correct. By the way, you cannot ignore just because something fits into your paradigm, you can't say the rest is is nonsense. With that said, all of these all of these different diets work for some people. Mm-hmm. And I was pointing him back to like what have humans been doing the longest? And the truth is, all kinds of stuff. What do people eat? Whatever was around. It depends on where you lived. Right. So and it and What a great way to
1: come right back around to your first question. What do people eat? It depends on where you live. So we've got to do a much better job here in America to make sure that if we're going to have those experiences with food, that it's an equal access to those foods because your diet is shaped by what's around you and what's available.
0: Um, So, yeah, I think that's that's well said. Man, that was a full circle (laughs) moment right now, you know, man. I want to make one more point. And I got to ask you this question as well. I can't have you here and not ask you about this. Um, but you know, I mentioned that my wife, it, you know, her being from Kenya, she really opened my eyes and, and my mother-in-law as well, so much to the diversity within just that one space, because again, it depends on where you live. There are so many tribes mm-hmm. in Kenya. what we tend to do is, again, like, some somebody's in a particular, you know, um, you know, they're African. Or they're Kenyan, they're Ethiopian, but within that there's so many different tribes. And so my wife's tribe, they're more with Dangu, mchele, mm-hmm. Chapati, right? Then there's tribes like the Maasai, who they're they're drinking blood and you mm-hmm. know, and, and milk. Milk is a big part of their diet. Yeah. Right. And they have this robust health and their rates of chronic disease, it's just like it, it's almost non existent, yeah. right? And then she shared, like, there's this other tribe that is closer to, you know, closer to the water, to the beach, and they eat a lot of fish. Right. You know, and they, but each tribe thinks that they're the best. You right. Know, no disrespect. All right. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, those are the people that smell like fish. You know, the Messiah, they out here, you know, with the husbandry, with the animals, yeah. whatever. And, but it's just understanding that it depends on where you are. Right. And your culture. And what I want to encourage people to do if they're wondering what to eat is think about your, where you come from. If you can. Mm-hmm. I would do that with people coming into my you know, my office after a set amount set amount of time. I finally started asking people like, what what is your heritage?
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: like if you're struggling, what did your what did your grandmother eat? You mm-hmm. know, when she was in Sicily or, you know, in, you know, uh, Ethiopia, or whatever the case might be. And another thing, mm-hmm. just to because you mentioned the the stank shark, um, the fermented shark. When I worked at a university, I would ask everybody that I worked with, did you guys have some kind of fermented dish in your culture? Mm -hmm. Everybody across the board always had a fermented food, Mm -hmm. cultured food in their culture. Right. Right. And, um, you know, so it's just, again, it just depends on where you live. That's a full circle thing. But I got to ask you about this. It's a vibe right now. It's summertime, Mm -hmm. you know, people out here, sun's out, guns out, sun's out, buns out. All right. What are some of your favorite summer dishes, summer foods that mm. we could be, you know, thinking about? Yeah, you know, I love watermelon.
1: And I mean, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I love watermelon a lot like during the summertime because it is so hot. It's very hydrating. So anything with watermelon, um, like salads, pairing that. In fact, I'm going to give you a really good salad. Um, watermelon arugula It's really pungent and a little bit of feta it's really great. I'm not a fan of balsamic, but if you want to put some balsamic glaze on that, you won't be disappointed. Um and you also, people don't know this, but there are different varieties of watermelon. So in Texas we'll see like different colors mm-hmm. of it. So we have the yellow meat and the orange and the pink. Um yeah, variations of it. So there's so there's room to like uh, to explore there. Uh I'd love for some reason, I'm not sure why, but grilled vegetables during the summertime I just like them just because it's one of those things that I can throw on the grill and the smokiness of them and you know getting them crisp tender those are some of the foods that I like to eat. So like what kind of vegetables? Oh, squash. Um so squash, zucchini, um onion, you know, bell peppers but just having them charred on the grill. I don't know, there's just something about it that that you know, that really gets me. Um you know, excited about it. And even though it's kind of like it's a warmer food, um, I love chili during the summertime, putting that on the grill. Everything is basically on the grill in the summertime. You hear me talk about this. Um, But making a good pot of chili, too. The cool thing about chili, and I talk about this a lot. You know, you may see like 10 different recipes on my website for chili. Chili was one of the first things that I um, began to make for myself when I was trying to eat better. Um, because you can swap out some of the ingredients, you can swap out the leanness of the meat, um, and not really compromise on that flavor. So it was a really nourishing meal too. And if you put some beans in it, Texas chili does not have beans, but we will allow um, for the conversation. If you put beans in there too, it's um, you know it it boosts the protein and the hardiness of that, you know, like that dish. Um, and then I feel like. This is probably going to get some people, oh, but grain grain salad bowls are really hot. They're hot like all year long, but I really feel that they're great like during the summertime. The only, my, and this is my my little venting session, I, I, I'll go and say this, that, that's the one thing that I dislike about sometimes of the seasonal eating is that we associate, oh my God, we can't eat carbs during the spring and the summertime. It's like those things are actually really good and they're helpful for us um but so just finding ways to incorporate grains like one of my favorite things to do is I'll roast a whole bunch of vegetables select a grain it could be brown rice probably don't want to select that one if you don't really like grains that much jasmine bulgur just something quinoa mixing that together with that and then throughout the wheat you can add a different like it's if if it's a different sauce if it's a different salad dressing you can add in some other elements you can add in some cold cold avocado to it um those things kind of help to trick your taste buds into thinking that you're eating something different and it's really nourishing Um, but nothing is off the table for me like you know during the summertime. but those are the things that just make it special awesome what
0: about Oh, man, you just made those popsicles, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Can you talk about those?
1: Yeah. Nice, nice cream is a really good thing to do with your fruit that you're not eating up. Um, and what I mean by nice cream, y'all, is just taking some fruit um, and I'd say to freeze it first and then blending it up with some some almond milk or some regular milk. And then it becomes like this thick almost like sherbet like, you know, like consistency and it tastes so good. You can add in other elements. So I made some popsicles with some um what did I make those with? Was blackberries? It was some kind of I, like uh I think I made them with blackberries. Might add some. Yeah, yes. That, those they were, were blackberries. Had, yep. And then I got some of those grain-free cookies um to that and oh my gosh, it was whew, Those bad boys were so good. Everyone loved it too on the internet. Um but things like that I think are really good ideas. Um, that we don't think about doing more often Um, and if you are going to make nice cream here are my tips you want to freeze the elements that are going to give you the thickest texture so bananas work very well avocado works very well too Um, and just pro tip avocado with a little bit of cacao um, and some agave or some maple you got your own fudge and it's really good Um, and mango and sometimes coconut, but those are my go tos in terms of making something really good and thick like, because you need that fat content. And even though it doesn't have that, it's got the the
0: gooiness. Awesome, man. That's so good. And also, this is something when making popsicles, it sounds like fun to do, interactive, you can do some with of your the family. kids, Yeah, kids love that. Yeah,
1: You're saving too on buying that kind of stuff. And the best thing, some people maybe put off and like, oh, man, I gotta buy this and that. But I'm telling you, it just takes one time. For you to make this stuff and you realize just how easy it is, but the benefit of doing this kind of stuff is that you know exactly what you're putting into your body. Yeah. And that's great. And if you you can make it as healthful
0: as you want it to be, or not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: I
0: so. Oh my God, man, I appreciate you so much. Um, you know, one of the things about our culture where we come from, mm-hmm. seasoning is very important. Oh yeah, all right, It's about that seasoning we grew up with the lorries all right yeah like that was just a staple and like you can get drove by your whole family and your community if you don't season your food properly Uh, i know and you decided to like step up and to upgrade oh seasonings yeah and that's one of the things you have going on right now talk about that yeah
1: we've had the spice line since uh 2019 and it's still it's one of my favorite things just because Seasoning is very important, and when I first started out, people were telling me to go buy the Mrs. Dash stuff, and with the zero sodium and the oldness of some of those spices, it tastes kind of like cardboard. So what I wanted to do was we can put some sodium in there, but very small amounts, so that way people can be heavy-handed with it if they need it to be, because, you know, I really love seasoning. I like to be able to taste the food, like, you make me food, and my breath doesn't stank afterwards, you ain't cook enough, and my breath got to stank with <laughs> <laughs> the food, but... um yeah so I made this system to show people how easy it is to season up your food, so there's one called the land seasoning, which is for anything that grows on the land, also in the air too because birds you know, and then there's one like a citrus blend with a C, sea, and that's one of the top sellers that people really like that because it's um it's really fragrant um it's got that sour, salty like you know uh what is it umami type of almost um you know, effect to it, and then there's one called the Everyday Blend, which is, uh it's like a base blend, and that one I really wanted to do that because uh, culturally we always reach for the Lowrys and stuff, and Lowrys, while it tastes good, man, that stuff is high in sodium. Yeah. Um. So I made these the spice systems so that way to show people how
0: to season food without putting in so much sodium. Yeah, and also of course Lowry, they're not they're not sourcing like high quality ingredients you know what i mean so you know but again it's just it's a cultural thing yeah and now we can take what we're doing and just upgrade those things and that's what i really love about what you do yeah those upgrades man so yeah it's pretty dope it's a it's a
1: a process man it's 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 definitely a process because i understand uh you want to do stuff for the culture And honor of the ancestors, like for instance, I got um people just came from my neck. I had so many messages about this. I was showing how to cook up some chicken breast so it wasn't going to be dry. And one of the first step was taking out of the package. Now, don't wash the chicken just oh. because it spreads <laughs> germs around. It's It's been proven, microscopic stuff. And so, the, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing that. It's got so many germs on it. Well, Hopefully you're cooking off those things like right. it's got like, to cook a Your certain temperature. Chicken, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but things like that we'll just keep on doing. But we need to begin to ask questions. This is the last thing I'll say because this, um, this is a funny story that my pastor, you know, I once shared just to show you what we do sometimes without even questioning it. He was making Thanksgiving dinner, and his mom was there, and so he was doing everything. He had the turkey ready, and he was about to put it into the oven, and then he split it down the middle. And then put it on on two trays, and put it in there. His mama said, "Baby, what you doing with that?" He's like, "Mom, I'm doing the way, you know, the same way that you did it." And she started laughing. <laughs> he said, "What's so funny?" Baby, I did that because it wouldn't fit inside of the oven, mm, mm. but he was just recreating yeah. it blindly, just doing uh, that, just yeah. because it's something that his mom showed. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to always do the things that our ancestors did. We can evolve and grow. Um, and still honor the heritage, but in new
0: ways that are much more healthful for us. Yeah, I love that, man. Bro, you are amazing. Mm. Can you let everybody know where they can follow you? Yeah, Find your cookbook, all the things.
1: Yeah, you can get my cookbook off of Amazon, Fit Men Cook. Um, it's 100 plus like recipes for meal prep and people really like it just because it shows you how to go about devising a meal plan. I'm not an absolutist, so there are foods in there for everybody, for all like, kinds of diets. And then if they want to follow me on social, um Cook
0: everywhere. And then you can also find my products, too, up under The Fit Cook. Boom. That's your thing. Yeah. That's your thing, man. After every video, um, you know, your, your, your tutorials for your recipes, now you're, like, even bringing in the younger generation. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your nephews in yeah. there, man. It's so amazing to see because you know what it takes and just, just that influence and the mm. excess. And I know that the work that you're doing is not always easy. The production quality, how you put something together, man, I just appreciate what you do and how you invest into your work. It's just, it's really special, man. And I appreciate that, seriously. Same, you know, with you.
1: I'm glad to see the way that your business is growing and then your brand is growing. You've got a lot of good things cooking. I can't wait for people to, to lose their mind when everything kind of drops, what you got going on. If there's one thing that I would like to just say, like, you know, as a parting thought, Going back to the first part, because I am really passionate about access to food, is that one other thing that people can do to help out in the local communities is to donate to the food banks and to get involved at that level, at the community level. It actually does matter. So um, not just giving away some of the old foods that you're not going to eat, but also the monetary donations. They need those things. They need, you know, um, because... I work with one in downtown Dallas and it's not just the food, but helping out with job placement and clothes. And then once we get them into a a house, they're they're given like kitchen stuff so they can begin to cook for themselves. So there are ways that we can tackle this, you know, this issue of food insecurity while hoping that we elect politicians and people in government that
0: can address these structural things. Yeah, man. Thank you for that, man. Again, Mm -hmm. just, You're a real one, man. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for coming through and can't wait to do this again. Appreciate you, bro. Awesome. My guy, (laughs) Kevin Curry, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. When it really boils down to it, it's about eating delicious food. It's about sharing experiences. It's about empowering others and finding creative ways to find a way. Because you know, there's a statement that if there's a will, there's a way. I believe that when there's a will, there's 10,000 ways. There's 10 million ways. We just have to have the audacity to think differently, to experiment, to try new things. And So I hope that you got a thing or two to take action on today, to try something new, to expand your horizons and caring is sharing. If you love this episode, please share it out with your friends and family. Take a picture, tag me on social media. I'm at Sean Model on Instagram and tag Kevin. He's at Fit Cook. Let them know what you thought about this episode. And of course, you can send this directly from the podcast app that you're listening on to somebody that you care about. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon.